pray together. Father, I pray that we'll get quiet enough in our souls that we can actually feel your presence. And I pray, Lord, that you'll find us receptive so that as you choose to nudge, we will hear and we will follow. Because we love you and we know you love us. And now we pray, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. That's so cool. Pray that God is honored by your presence, that he is pleased. Glad for those of you who are connecting with us online. Make sure that you do share this or invite others to watch with you. Remember, guys, Easter is coming in one month. Isn't that amazing? One month. It'll be Easter. And uh, it's going to be a big deal for us here at Capital City. Last year, we actually did Easter in a tent out in the parking lot. This year we're planning three services. There'll be an 8 o'clock service. In this service, and we're going to push both venues, so we'll have plenty of space for people to be here. And uh, we want to encourage you again to come early, park far, and bring somebody with you. Bring someone with you. It's Easter, guys. And we're glad to see that the COVID rates are going down and the vaccines are ramping up and we're thinking it's time to push our spiritual life back into high gear, isn't it? Let's get it done. So that's coming up. Also, it's a good time. A lot of people have been hanging around for a while, and you need to get serious about making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life or getting baptized. If you haven't done that yet, we need to talk. I mean, Easter time is a wonderful time to get your life with God started. So let's talk about that. Now, how many of you guys have ever been targeted because you're a Jesus follower? Now, maybe they didn't say it that way, but you've taken heat. You've been targeted in some way because you're a Jesus follower. Now, I'm not talking about the ways that so many Jesus followers around our world are being persecuted right now. I mean, there are places in our world right now where it's flat-out dangerous to be a Christian, right? A place like North Korea, I guess that's the worst. A lot of countries that are Muslim, like Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Iran, Nigeria. Even places like Iran and China, which I understand is on a campaign to destroy churches. Maybe you haven't been persecuted like that, but have you ever been targeted, persecuted in any way, because you're a Jesus follower? I'm not talking about the beheadings, kidnapping, sexual slavery, and burned churches that some of our brothers and sisters are facing now, right now. In fact, there was a report just last week in the news, I don't know if you saw it, but in the news there were Venezuelan churches, that, I mean Venezuelan Christians, who were forced to eat pages of their Bible and branded with crosses this last week. I suspect none of us have faced anything like that, I hope. But have you ever faced any hostility, any social pressure maybe, financial pressure maybe, political pressure maybe, because you're a Jesus follower? Have you ever been marginalized? Excluded, demeaned, mocked, canceled, branded as hateful, bigoted, or intolerant? Because you tried standing tall as a Jesus follower as you understood it? Hmm. National Association of Evangelicals, big organization, 
a lot of leaders in there. 2016, five years ago, they did a poll of the Christian leaders at the time, and they said, how many of you guys believe that you have been persecuted for following Jesus? 32% said yes, 32%. 76% said we expect it's coming. I don't know if they're just paranoid. Do you think they were? And I suspect if they took that poll today, both of those numbers would be higher because our culture is changing. Ordinarily, a culture changes very, 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 very slowly until all of a sudden it changes fast. And it feels like we've hit high gear. One very smart guy put it like this. He said, we American Christians are used to being playing the game on the home field, the home field advantage. We know that there are opponents in the stands, but most of the crowd around us is either on our side or at least they don't mind our mission. Not anymore, he says. He says now it's almost like Jesus' followers are increasingly playing on enemy turf. And there are a minority of fans on our side, but more and more are hurling insults and cheering our losses. Because he says that dissing Christians has become almost a sport in some places. You buy that? Does that sound too bleak? By the way, the guy who said this isn't depressed. He just says that we Jesus followers ought to live life with our eyes open. We ought to know what's happening. There are a plethora of signs that our culture is growing, will grow more hostile to Jesus followers. See, I believe that we are now in an officially post-Christian culture. Full in. So be it. For most of the history of the church, the church has thrived in hostile cultures. We will too. We've done fine because we have an incredibly good, incredibly wise, incredibly powerful God, don't we? And we trust Him. Our government is removing some of the protections that we American Christians have enjoyed for so long. Okay. Universities are increasingly targeting Jesus' followers as antiquated, hateful, bigoted, or privileged. Okay. Our kids face attacks on their fundamental values and our schools and our entertainment on the social media. That's not okay. We have work to do as parents to raise strong Christian kids, don't we? We're seeing increasing intolerance, fines, lawsuits, jobs lost, public shaming because they're Jesus followers. May not have happened yet around you, but you'll see more and more of it happening. So have you ever been targeted, belittled, marginalized, canceled, because you're a Jesus follower and wanted to stand tall for him? It amuses me that oftentimes Christians are branded as the intolerant ones, right? Tolerance means that you protect the rights of those you disagree with. Most Christians have tried doing that. They're the ones becoming intolerant, not us. We're criticized for our protection of the traditional family, which we believe was instituted by our God. Being attacked for our support of heterosexuality and for the wild and crazy idea that there may just be two genders, which we think were invented by God. Criticized for our approach to equality. You see, we genuinely believe that what unites us as Christians is way bigger than anything that could divide us. Do you believe that? That the Christ who knits us together is stronger than anything that would tear us apart as a family. And we're being criticized for our insistence that there really is a God. 
And God is the one who gets to decide what's right and what's wrong. And his way is going to be superior to any other way of doing life, we believe. Listen, this is really, really important. I do not want any kind of a defensive, woe is me, bunker mentality here at Cap City. That's not us. We may be playing the game more and more on enemy turf, but we're on the field. We're in the game. No belligerence here. No self-pity. Rather, courage and joy. Because we get to show them a different way, a better way, an infinitely better way. We get to show them what a life done well looks like, a life with God, for God, God's way. And we believe... We trust that God's going to be working on their hearts, nudging them towards his truth and his grace. You believe that? I do. So courage, guys. Faithfulness. Stay faithful to God, to his truth and his grace. You know why we can do that? Because we trust him. We trust God. Do you trust God? And gentleness, because gentleness emerges from real strength. It's the only real gentleness. So let's stand up for what we know is true with love and grace. We'll share Jesus. We're going to rise above any that would put us down. Let's play. We've got a job to do. Isn't that cool? Now, We've been trying to unpack what it means to be a Jesus follower his way. See, a lot of us want to follow Jesus, but we kind of want to define what that means. Well, Jesus has already done that. That's where we've been the last two months. That's where we're going to be going the next several months. We don't get to decide what it means to be a Jesus follower. Jesus tells us what it's going to mean. Now, I don't want to embarrass anybody, so don't raise your hands. But how many of you guys consider yourself right now a Jesus follower? You would say, I'm a Jesus follower. How many of you guys are thinking about, I want to be a Jesus follower? Well, if that's so, here's what it means, according to Jesus. You ready? Jesus says to them all, not just to the disciples, he says to all of us, he says, if any one of you wants to be my follower, any one of you, you must deny self. Deny self. In other words, give up your own way. You got to, Take up a cross, literally take up a cross, whatever that means. You've got to do it every day. And then you've got to follow me wherever I take you. Hmm. Doesn't look like Jesus tried making it very easy, does it? Deny self, take up a cross. So if you are a Jesus follower, do you think you're a Jesus follower Jesus way? Would you be willing to try to be a Jesus follower Jesus' way? Do you think it's worth the shot? Now, we've been trying to spend the last four weeks trying to understand what Jesus meant when he said you've got to deny yourself. That's where we've been. We're going to spend the next four weeks trying to figure out what Jesus meant when he said take up your cross. That's where we are today. That's where we're going. Anything like, well, there's a cross right up there on the wall. You're supposed to go find something like that and yank it down and just kind of carry it with you. He doesn't mean it literally, does he? Like you're supposed to go over and build a cross like that and haul it around with you. What does he mean? And here's what makes it way weirder. 
Think about this, guys. When Jesus said to the crowds, to us, take up your cross, he hadn't died yet. None of us knew that Jesus was going to a cross. We had no clue that Jesus was going to die on a cross. Jesus knew. Jesus knew with perfect clarity what was going to happen. But you had no clue. He just looks at you and he says, if you're going to follow me, go get a cross. What would that have meant to them? What did that mean to Jesus? I'm going to tell you that in that world, everybody knew what a cross was, but in a different way that we do. I mean, nobody back then was wearing crosses jewelry. Probably a lot of you guys are wearing a cross right now. That's not the way they knew it back then. You wouldn't have found it on the on the stages or on the walls of buildings marking that it was a church, you certainly wouldn't have found any kind of a cross bumper sticker on the backs of their camels or donkeys, right? It's not going to be that kind of thing. But every one of them knew what a cross was because they had seen the real thing. It's different to them. They had seen what a cross would do to a guy or to a lady. The most brutal form of execution imaginable. They considered it worse than burning, beheading, even being tossed to the animals. Stripped naked, hung up for everybody to taunt and jeer, which they would do. Unable to fend off the bugs that would land. Unable to tend to your wastes. You'd hang there dying, at least for hours. More likely for a day or days, even. Pain is literally excruciating. So you know that word, excruciating, excrucis, out of the cross. The Romans used the cross to shame and humiliate and terrify the very worst of the worst. You were one of the dregs if you were crucified. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, go get a cross. They didn't know he was dying on a cross. He just said, if you're going to follow me, you go get a cross. You get it. That make you reconsider this following Jesus stuff? that's part of it. Hmm. Does it make any of you guys want to reconsider this following Jesus stuff? Jesus didn't try to make it easy. Our little preaching team, Randy and Corden and Tom over at Hillcrest Baptist and I, we were just kind of trying to think about what Jesus might say today. Because if Jesus were talking to you and you didn't know this text, I doubt if he'd say, take up your cross, because you wouldn't know what a cross was like, like they did, right? We struggled. I think Tom suggested that Jesus might say, if you're going to follow me, would you be willing? Would you be willing to wear a BLM shirt to a Klan rally? Or would you be willing to wear a Trump shirt to an Antifa rally? (laughs) Take some nerve. My suggestion was, maybe Jesus would say something like that. If you're going to follow me, would you be willing to go teach the three-year-olds? I mean, come on. That's a line too far, isn't it? If you really want it, maybe the middle school boys scare most people away. Randy's suggestion was probably the most serious. He said, maybe Jesus would tell us something like that. Would you be willing, if you're going to follow me, would you be willing to live next door to ISIS terrorists so you can show them what living for Jesus looks like? You know, the guys who are cutting Christians' heads off. Would you do it? Would you go? Jesus said, go get a cross. Go pick up a cross. You can just kind of imagine the kind of thoughts that are going through minds when they heard this from Jesus. If you want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up a cross every single day, every single day, maybe not knowing when it's going to be used. And you're going to have to follow wherever I'm going to take you. And they're thinking stuff like, 
Huh? Kind of sounds like Jesus says that following him is going to make us a target, doesn't it? And if you do it right, it will. Kind of sounds like Jesus saying that following him is going to be really dangerous, really dangerous. Maybe not just to your checkbook or to your social standing or whatever. Maybe even to your physical life. Jesus said it might. So why would you want to? Why would you want to follow Jesus, Jesus' way? Why would I want to? I mean, we claim here at Cap City that Jesus is not only God, we say He's good, right? Jesus is good. If Jesus is so good, why would He ask me to suffer ostracism for Him or even die for Him? Why would that be the right thing to do? What if Jesus is leading you down a path that you don't understand? What if Jesus is leading you down a path that you don't agree with? What if he's leading you down a path that just seems too hard? Do you still go? Now there's a scene in the Garden of Gethsemane that I used to think pictured obedience at its pinnacle. This was the very top drawer of obedience. Jesus goes to the garden to pray because Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. They're going to come and arrest him and crucify him. And even though he knows that that's what he's here for, Jesus came here to die on a cross for us. Still, it terrified the human side of Jesus. Maybe even terrified the God side of Jesus. I don't know. Bear all of our sins on his shoulders to be separated from his Father for just a moment, even. And yet at the end, Jesus says, I I don't want to do this, but I want your will to be done, not mine. I don't like it but I'm going to do it if it's your will, God. That's powerful. I'm going to do it your way, God, even when it's hard. I'm going to do it your way, God, even when I don't want to. But I think there's another kind of obedience that is equally powerful. See, I think there's a path that most Jesus followers follow. I don't know where you are on this path. You probably have been on it at some point. If you're at the very beginning of the path, if you're just looking at being a Jesus follower, just starting out as a Jesus follower, a lot of what Jesus asks you to do seems weird. Jesus seems weird, right? Counterintuitive, counterproductive. Jesus will tell you something like this. He says, I want you to love your enemies. And you're like, huh? That makes no sense. Jesus says, you're going to have to do good to those who hate you. Serious? Be nice to them? Like, that's going to work. Or Jesus will say something like, I need you to forgive someone who has done something that is unforgivable to you. And you're thinking, that's crazy. That's just going to reinforce their bad behavior if I do that, right? Or he's going to say, you have to be willing to walk away from your family, your friends, your job, whatever, if that's what it's going to cost to follow me. And you're thinking, you're telling me that I'm going to diss my family for him? See, to someone who's just looking at Jesus, just getting started on this path, a whole lot of what Jesus says seems weird. It really does. But you start down that path because you say, I'm going to trust him anyway. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust that Jesus just might be smarter than me. What are the odds, right? I'm going to trust that maybe Jesus really does have my best interest at heart. I don't understand it yet, but I'm going to trust that. Maybe Jesus is even gooder than me. Don't you like that word? It was corrected on my manuscript. I 
put it in anyway. I don't care. We obey Him when we don't understand Him. We obey Him when we don't agree with Him because we choose to trust Him. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust that Jesus is wiser than you are? Do you trust that Jesus' way for you is going to be better than your way for you? You may not understand it yet, but do you trust that? It's kind of dumb not to, I think. And here's the deal. If you keep growing as a Jesus follower, not everybody does, but if you keep growing as a Jesus follower, his way will start making more and more sense. That's the way it works. You begin to understand more and more. You begin to see the world through his eyes. You begin to understand what he's trying to do. Ah, that's why he wants me to forgive the unforgivable. Because that unforgiveness is like a cancer inside of me just destroying me, and he wants to set me free. Huh. Ah, that's why he wants me to be generous. Because it really does make life better. And because, bottom line, it's all his anyway, isn't it? Ah, that's why he wants me to tell the truth even when it's hard. That's why he wants me to stay faithful to my wife even when I don't feel like I love her anymore. That's why he wants to be fearless when following Jesus will make me look weird. That's why. Kind of like light bulbs start going on as you grow and mature as a Jesus follower. <clears throat> the real problem is when people stay as Jesus followers, but they don't grow and mature, so those light bulbs never come on. That's a tragedy. But as you mature, you begin to understand that's why we do life with God, for God, God's way. That's why. It's a better way to live. It's a better way to live now. It's a better way to live for forever. And bottom line, we do it because he's God. He really is God. It's hard to follow Jesus sometimes, but he's God. It's still scary, but there's courage rooted in trust. Kind of like a three-year-old. Jordan was talking about three-year-olds. Three-year-olds are all barbarians, right? Every single one of them. I got two. They're not three anymore. They're four. They're my grandkids, right? They're still barbarians, still at four. The job of every parent is to civilize barbarians. By the way, my grandkids are perfect barbarians, okay? But they're still barbarians. Every three-year-old kind of thinks they know a whole lot more than their parents, at least what's good for them. Why do I have to go to bed? I don't want to go to bed, right? Why do I have to finish my peas? I hate peas. I want cookies. A couple nights ago, first thing Aubrey did when she got to our house is head straight to the cookie jar right before dinner, right? Why do I have to put on a jacket? For that matter, why do I have to put on pants, right? Why do I have to change my diaper? I'm busy. I've got things to do, right? If a three-year-old actually grows up, and there are some three-year-olds who grow physically but not maturely, they do. We've got some old three-year-olds. Light bulbs start going on, especially when they become parents, right? Ah, that's why you have to change a diaper. That's why you have to insist on a coat. That's why you have to make them finish their peas. That's why you have to take, make them take a nap. Light bulbs go on. You begin to mature. You begin to understand more of the why. It's still hard to do the right thing sometimes, but you get it now. You start to understand. That's the way it is with God. You keep following, you keep growing, and you're going to have more and more of those aha moments. You keep growing and maturing as a Christian, you'll begin to understand. It's still hard to do life his way, but you'll understand why he wants you to keep pressing on. Keep, keep faithful. Trust him. 
Jesus says, I want you to deny yourself. Start there. Deny yourself. Take up your cross every single day. Have it ready every single day. And follow wherever I take you. You've got to be willing to sacrifice anything, anything, even your own life, if you want to follow me, Jesus says. And the more you follow him, the more you understand why, the more you get it. Bottom line, Jesus never asks us to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. Jesus modeled trust. Jesus modeled courage. See, he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He knew exactly why he came to the earth. There's a little word in Greek. It's the word dei, D-E-I. It's translated, it is necessary or I must. It's a huge word, even though it's tiny. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's what he used to call himself, I must, have to. It's necessary for me to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law. I must, it is necessary for me to be killed. Has to happen, Jesus says. Another verse, Jesus gives a very similar idea. He says, Son of man, I, he says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you guys. I came to give my life. That's why I'm here as a ransom for you. I came here to die. I came here to die for you, Jesus says. It's crystal clear to him. Jesus knew what he was here to do. He knew the why. He came to die so we could live. Still, there was a part of Jesus that didn't want to do it. You get that. You have someone so, that you love so dearly, someone so precious to you that you die for them, even if it was a miserable death. Would you die for somebody miserably? Huh. But even if you'd say yes, there'd be a part of you that didn't want to, that was still scared, right? Because of the pain, what you're going to go through. I'll never forget teaching a Sunday school class down in Atlanta when I was at Emory. I was talking about this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was in agony, and the Bible says he was in real agony. According to Matthew, Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I hurt so bad inside I want to die, Jesus said. Mark says Jesus was deeply troubled. Jesus is deeply troubled, deeply distressed, crushed with grief to the point of death. Have you ever felt anything akin to that, felt so bad you wanted to die? According to Luke, Jesus is actually sweating blood, literally. Oh. And Jesus prays to his dad, Dad, you can do anything. Dad, you can do anything. Please stop this. I don't want to do it. I know you can find another way, Dad. Please. But. If this is where you want me to go, I'll go. I'm in. I was teaching the Sunday school class about this scene down in Atlanta, and I came to this part, and, and I said, you've got to understand, Jesus could have told his father no. Jesus could have said to God, no, I won't do it. That's what he was agonizing over in the garden. This was a real agony. Jesus could have turned around and walked away. What would that have meant for you if Jesus had told his father no? Where would that leave you? Where would it leave me? This one guy in the class said, that is the awfulest thing I have ever heard said in church. And he stood up and he turned his chair around. He didn't leave the room. He just turned his chair around so he could sit with his back to me for the remainder of the class. <laughs> Talk about an awkward moment, right? I still believe it. 
Jesus could have walked away. This was a genuine temptation. There was a part of him that wanted to walk away. Have you ever felt anything like that? You knew what God wanted you to do and you didn't want to do it. And you said, please, God, any other way. Because Jesus knew that doing it God's way was going to be unimaginably painful and unimaginably hard. And again, think of the spot it would have put you in if Jesus had told his father no. But that's what trust looks like. And when you trust God, that's what courage looks like. And when he said, take up your cross, he's asking us to follow that same path. Whatever the cost, whatever the cost, you keep doing life with God, for God, God's way. You know why? Because it's worth it. It's worth it. If you want to follow Jesus, Jesus says, my way, deny yourself, give up your own way, take up your cross, your cross, not his, take up your cross every single day and keep following me wherever I lead you. Which means follow when it's easy and follow when it's not. Follow when you understand the why, follow when you don't yet. Follow when you agree with Jesus, follow when you don't. Because you trust him. Trust him. And out of that kind of trust flows this reckless courage, this inexplicable strength. Now, I don't know what it's going to mean practically for you. I think it's going to be different for every single one of us. What's it going to mean to take up your cross and follow him? I don't know. I know it means at least that he is saying that following him could get hard. I suspect it's going to be getting harder. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I think it's going to get way harder. And our response is, okay, we're in. I think it means that following Jesus might get embarrassing. They might try to heap shame on you because you're a Jesus follower. They might try to cancel you, right, because you're a Jesus follower. Maybe not, but I suspect more of that's coming. And if so, okay. Means following Jesus might mean that you're going to have to give up your own agenda and follow His. Maybe you're going to have to give up your dreams and follow His. It's going to, you see, it's really, really hard to make your own plans for tomorrow when you're hanging on a cross, right? I don't want to be melodramatic, guys. I just want us to be ready. I think culture is changing. I want this to be a family of Jesus followers who are standing tall when others are tempted to compromise and buckle. I want them to see a reckless courage right here in us. I want them to see an inexplicable joy, this grin on our faces because we have this hope that is unshakable in Jesus. I want them to see in us a better way to live, living out God's truth, God's grace, God's love. May they see it here because we think it's worth it. We do. We think that following Jesus is what every single one of us was made for. Do you believe that? You were made to be a Jesus follower. You were made to do life with God that way. You were made to live for something way bigger than yourself. As long as you live for yourself, you're living for way too little. We believe that doing life with God, for God, His way is going to be infinitely better way to live in this world and in the next. And bottom line, guys, we're Jesus followers. We're willing to take up our cross, deny ourselves, whatever, because He's God. And because only God deserves God's place in our life.
soap. Are you in? Want to be a Jesus follower? Let's not soft soap this thing, soft sell it. Are you in? Could be hard. Okay. We're in. If you're not a Jesus follower, do you want to be? I hope so. We consider it infinitely better in this world and in the next. If you want to talk about making Jesus the Lord of your life, we just need to talk. You probably feel the Holy Spirit nudging on you because the Holy Spirit's really good at that, nudging us to be Jesus followers. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, just I'm going to sit down over here, I think, and come and talk. There's an elder in the prayer room back there. or Come to the class we're going to have right after this thing. We're going to talk about getting started with Jesus. We'd love to talk to you. Okay? If you are a Jesus follower, it may be that you don't feel this trust, you don't feel this courage, you don't feel this joy. You know, take a little bit of time with your God. Just get quiet and ask Him to infuse you with those things. Help you to trust Him. And out of that, to have this inexplicable courage and this inexplicable joy. It's cool. It's the way to live, guys. You know why we trust Him? The cross. He loves us this much. This proves how much he loves us. And three days later when he walked out of the tomb, that proves the power of Jesus to do exactly what he promises in our life. Every week we remember the core of our faith, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do right now. It's going to be very quiet, going to be on your own. If you don't have the Lord's Supper elements or scattered around the room, go to one of these tables, grab a couple of them. But take this time to thank him for what he's done for you. And take this time to recommit yourself as a Jesus follower, whatever, wherever, whenever. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, for your grace, we give you thanks. For your love, we give you thanks. For your truth, we give you thanks. And help us to commit ourselves to following you wherever, because you're our God.